Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to the city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed by the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the, the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child, child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. sermon text this morning is the one that Jane just read, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. This is now the second week of Advent. We've lit the second candle. Advent means coming, arrival. So we're remembering the coming of Christ, his first coming, and also looking forward to his second coming. Advent, of course, is a season that leads up to Christmas, right? And at Christmas, we'll, we'll remember the birth of Christ. We're going to work through Luke 1 in the weeks leading up, and then Christmas Eve, we'll be in Luke 2 and look at the birth of Christ himself. We read, I mean, there's so many different Christmas stories around. Um, Miranda has gathered together a, a box of enough books to read a Christmas picture book to Nora every day of December leading up to Christmas. And there's all kinds of interesting stories. I mean, um, the night before Christmas and all, all kinds of stuff like that. There's a lot of stories around Christmas time, but there's only one story that ultimately matters when it comes to Christmas, right? People have all kinds of reasons for celebrating Christmas and buying presents and decking the halls, but there is one, as the cliche goes, one reason for the season, and of course, that's the birth of Christ. There's all kinds of babies born across the years. There'll be all kinds of babies born today. Why do we celebrate this one child? 
What can you even know about a baby at its birth? I mean, very little, right? What, what can we know about Nora when she was born, right? What, 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 what do we know about what she'll be as she grows? Very little, right? <laughs> Complicated, Miranda says. <laughs> what can you know about a baby when it's born but certain certain children do get celebrated i mean you the babies you celebrate most are the ones whose parents you know right if if the parent of the child is your son or your daughter and this is your first grandchild who's my dad this year right he's paying a lot of attention to that baby right because of whose daughter she is because of whose son a child might be when um, uh, uh, William and Kate, right, the prince and I don't know what, is she a duchess or something like that, right? When they had their, their first child a few years ago, there was all kinds of hubbub. Why? Because of whose parents this, this kid, well, I'm George, I think his name is, right? Um, I don't know anything about him. We don't know if he'll be anything special or not, right? But because of who his parents are, the whole world erupted, right? Because one day he might be king. What did Mary know about Jesus at his birth? We're going to look this morning at the angel Gabriel's greeting to Mary and what he told Mary about who this child would be, about whose son this child would be. Whose parents, what parents does this child belong to that we, that we have such a hubbub about him every year? Who is this Jesus? Jesus, we're going to see, is the son of Mary. He's the son of David. And he's the son of God. Son of Mary, son of David, son of God. Let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, we ask that in the coming days and weeks, in the chaos of preparing for Christmas, that you would prepare our hearts to celebrate our Savior Jesus as we remember his birth and as we look forward to his second coming. We pray this morning, Lord, as we come to your word, that you would be at work in our hearts. You'd lead us to understand what we need to understand, to believe what we need to believe, and that you'd lead our hearts to love you more. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is the son of Mary. He's the son of David. He's the son of God. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, if you were here last week, you know Gabriel's been busy. Last week, we looked at his appearance to Zechariah. And he told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth, even though though they were old and barren, they were going to have this miracle child, John the Baptist, and he would be used of God in a powerful way. And this is a, a kind of a parallel appearance. Gabriel again is appearing to a family, again to sort of an unlikely candidate for conception and birth, a virgin, Mary. And again, he's appearing to a family and saying, 
listen, you're going to have an unexpected and miraculous child who's going to be used powerfully by God. But I want you to notice a significant difference. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, you almost would expect an angel to appear there, there, right? The great messenger of God, Gabriel, appearing to a, a righteous priest of God in the temple of God, in the holy city of God. You almost expect it, right? This is where you'd expect to see an angel. If you're going to see an angel anywhere, it's going to be in the temple to a righteous priest. And then Gabriel goes to Nazareth. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Jerusalem is in Judea. It's in the south. Um, Galilee's in the north. Galilee's not where things are happening. Right? The religious center of Israel, that's Jerusalem. The political and economic center of Israel, that's Jerusalem. Galilee, you actually have to go to Samaria to get there. It's there's, some, there's a trade route going through, so there's some economic activity in Galilee, but there's not too much happening there. Nazareth, Nazareth's even worse. Luke's very generous to call it a city. It's a little village. And you remember what the people said about Nazareth when they heard Jesus was from there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth had a reputation, and not a good one. It was a little backwater that nothing good ever came from. So here's Gabriel, who stands at the right hand of God. First going to a priest, that makes sense. Now going to who? Mary. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. This probably indicates, the commentators say, that she was around 13 or 15. So around the age of a young woman would have been engaged in this culture. She's, she's barely a woman. And yet the angel Gabriel appears to her. And what does he say? Verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Contrast that with what Gabriel said to Zechariah. Right? Do not fear, your prayer has been heard, which is a wonderful thing to hear but not nearly as exalted as greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. O favored one. The word underneath here is charis in Greek, grace. Grace. That God had been gracious to Mary. God has poured out his grace on you in a spectacular way, Mary. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. I imagine she was probably somewhat troubled at the appearance of an angel. But what Luke pulls out is that she's troubled at the saying. What does this mean? That I'm, I'm highly favored. That the Lord is with me. What could it mean that an angel is bringing me these tidings? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And then, reiterates, for you have found favor, same word here, you have found favor with God. God has set his grace upon you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, first of all, he's Mary's son. Jesus is Mary's son. And it should teach us a couple of things. First of all, it should teach us that the Lord does not despise small things. We're going to explore a bit more about the identity of Jesus, just who it was that would be in Mary's womb. Jesus is the single most important person who's ever walked the earth. The arrival of Jesus into creation is the single most important event that had happened up till this point in history. This is the turning point of all redemptive history. And who did Jesus pick? Who did the Father pick to carry and to give birth to his son? A little girl in a little town that no one expected anything good from. The Lord does not despise small things. In fact, the Lord has a tendency to use them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Christian, maybe some days you feel too weak, too small, too sinful, too fill in the blank, to ever be used of God. Be encouraged, the Lord does not despise small things, or does not despise weak people, sinful people, unknown people. The Lord does not despise people who no one expected any good out of. The Lord delights to use unexpected people for marvelous things. The Lord delights to use weak people to do great things. And he, he does so because proud people might be tempted to take the credit. <laughs> great people might be tempted to say, well, he picked me because I'm so great. And when the Lord works through people like us, we have to say, wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't do anything to deserve it. When Gabriel says that Mary's highly favored, it doesn't mean that there's anything inherently special about Mary. Again, the word is grace. It means that God, of his own volition, has acted graciously in an undeserving way to Mary. Jesus is Mary's son. This teaches us first that God does not despise small things. It's another implication of that. I'd want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't believed in Jesus, and you wonder if God would ever consider you, if God has ever had a thought for you, you wonder if you're too sinful, too far gone, too messed up for God to ever think of you, try again. There are no little people 
in God's eyes. Jesus is the son of Mary. This also teaches us that, very obviously, Jesus was and is truly human. He's more than that. We'll get to that. But Jesus was and is truly human, a human being like us, a son of Mary. He had a mom named Mary. Jesus is the son of Mary. It's more than just that, though. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. He's the Son of Mary. He's also the Son of the Most High. Who's the Most High? God. Jesus is the Son of God. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of Mary. He's also, according to Gabriel, the son of David. David is his father. Now, we shouldn't think of this in terms of direct physical father, right? King David had been dead and gone for a long time. But my dad's name is Eric, and his dad's name is Frank, and his dad's name was also Frank. And so, collectively, they're my fathers, right? I'm carrying on my father's name. Um, One's a grandfather, one's a great-grandfather, right? But they're all my father's. So when, we're, when Gabriel's referring to Jesus as um, being the son of David, that David is his father, we're not talking about immediate father, we're talking about descended from David, which both in Matthew and in Luke, we have genealogies which trace Jesus back to David. Both Mary, Mary traces her genealogy back to David. She's a direct descendant of King David, you know, the guy with the sling and the stones in Goliath. And also... Um, so physically, David, uh, Jesus def- descended from David. And also legally, his stepfather, Joseph, was also descended from David, of the line of David. And so Jesus' father is David. Now, what significance is that? This is, this is more than just saying, yeah, my, uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was on the Mayflower. My great-great-great-grandfather killed Goliath with the rock and the sling. You know the story. That was, that was, that's my daddy. It's more than just a claim to fame. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. David is significant here because David was a king. This is a royal baby, a baby born in the line of the great king. And as Gabriel said these words to Mary, her brain must have been lighting up with the scripture she'd heard in synagogue since she was a little kid. First, the promises made to King David by God. The great promises, we looked at these um, I guess it's been a year now. We looked at these during Advent last year in 2 Samuel 7. 
the great promises made to David that God would maintain a king on David's throne of David's line forever. This is a great promise. And David was the greatest king of Israel. But the people, over time, eventually saw the kingdom of David fall. The royal line was broken, the kingdom was splintered and destroyed, and the people were scattered all over the place. And the people began to wonder, what hope is there? What's God doing? I thought he made a promise. I thought he'd maintain a king on David's throne forever. And the prophets give an answer. Isaiah especially and the others. Isaiah 9 contains a, a marvelous prophecy. It's the promise of the restoration of of David's line. Take a look at 2 Samuel 7 and Isaiah 9 and Luke 1 and compare them all this week. It's remarkable to see how they fit together. But in Isaiah 9, the Lord promises that out of Galilee, of all places, would come a light. A child would be born. And this child, you remember the famous line, the government will be on his shoulder kings govern the government shall be on his shoulder of the increase of his government there will be no end he will reign on the throne of david forever so the people of mary's time the jews in mary's time were looking for this king because god had promised i will send a king the messiah is what they called him i will send a king who will restore the glory of israel the line will be remade, and once again, David's son will reign on David's throne. And they'd been waiting in silence for years to hear a word from God that, yes, it's happening, the kingdom's coming back. And so here, to this teenager in Galilee, the angel Gabriel comes and says, God is moving, the kingdom is coming, and you will give birth to the king. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the Messiah, the king who was born to reign eternally, to restore the glory of Israel, and more than that. So you read Isaiah and the other prophets, the Messiah didn't just come for Israel. The Messiah came to restore the whole world. Now, this would have been good news for Israel. Good news for Mary. Messiah's coming, finally. And, and what a glory, what an honor. I mean, imagine her thinking through all this. I'm, I'm going to carry Messiah. I'm going to raise Messiah. It's amazing. Amazing good news for Mary and for Israel. Not good news for the whole world, necessarily. So you read the prophets. You read that when Messiah comes, when the king comes, when the man comes around, those who'd put their faith in him be restored, be forgiven, be cleansed given life forever in a recreated heavens and the earth. Right? 
that are the original prophecy of the new heavens and the new earth, that's Isaiah. But also that when Messiah came, he would bring judgment upon the nations. That when God returned, that when Messiah came, and the day of the Lord came, that, that the nations, that sinners would be punished, be brought under judgment. That all that's wicked with the world would, would be destroyed. And of course, the problem that we run into every time we start thinking about the judgment of God on sin is that we're a part of the equation. We too were sinners. Just think about your own life and how over and over and over again we prone to, we're prone to be ruiners. Okay? Ruiners of God's good creation. We're, we do self-destructive stuff, and afterwards we're like, why on earth did I do that? It's, we're irrationally ruiners. We ruin our relationships with each other. I mean, watch the news. We, we're messed up. We forget our God. We rebel. We willingly do what we know to be wrong. And Messiah's coming. Messiah didn't come in judgment the first time around, but he's coming again. The great king who will reign forever will rid the world of evil. Amen, it's great hope. But what about us? We need a savior. We need some kind of solution so that we can be cleansed of this rot. First of all, so that the Lord won't punish us, and second of all, so that we can be rid of this darkness that plagues us. How, how can we find healing? Jesus is the son of Mary. He's the son of David, but he's also the son of God. This is where we're going to find hope. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She doesn't seem to be asking this impetuously. It's an honest question. Gabriel, sounds good. Not sure how you're going to make this work. <laughs> Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel explains there will not be a human father. This will not be a physical process. It will be a process by which the Holy Spirit works in Mary's womb and implants this life. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then we have a logical conclusion from Gabriel. Therefore, because there is no human father, because it is the Holy Spirit who conceives this child, Therefore, this child to be born will be called holy, the son of who? God. This is a conception, this is a birth unlike any other in human history that had happened before or that has ever happened since. Jesus was and is a man without a human father. He is the son of God. 
God, the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Son of Mary, he is truly human. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he is also truly God. God in the flesh. God taking on human form. Consider this for a moment. The creator entering his creation. The author of the grand story of history writing himself into the play. The, the great artist behind the mural of creation actually painting himself into the masterpiece. God becoming man without giving up his divinity. Truly God, truly man. Why? Why would God humble himself to such a point? This is humiliating. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God taking on creatureliness, walking in the dirt of creation walking the dusty streets of Galilee, nursing with his mother, having dirty diapers, going through puberty, the whole thing, the creator. The creator, in Christmas we think of Jesus as a baby, the creator as a baby, totally dependent, totally dependent on the, this woman that he made? This is wild. And why? For God so loved the world. Despite our ruinousness, despite our tendencies to self-destruct, God loves people broken people, sinful people. He loves the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Philippians 2 again. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even further, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God came into the world, not only taking on human form, but humbling himself even further to the point that the author of life died on a tree. And why? God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God became a baby, became a man, died on a tree so that his wandering sinful people might live, so that we might be freed. God came near 
to restore us to a right relationship with him. Even when we were running from him, God came running after us in the person of Christ so that we might be forgiven by his death on the cross and raised to new life by his resurrection. Jesus is the son of God and that means God loves people like you. Enough to take on human flesh, enough to be born and to die in our place. Jesus is the son of Mary, he's the son of David, he's the son of God. As the son of David, as the great Messiah King, he will return one day in judgment. But we need not be afraid if we have trusted in the son of God. God has made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to God, and not only that, for the rot inside to start to be cleaned out, even in this life. Jesus says that we must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. There's actually this way in which the Holy Spirit invades our lives to the point where it's like we've been born again. That level of new life. It's possible in God for the rot to start to be cleaned out. Verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. You can imagine this all must have been very difficult for Mary to believe. Is this even possible? And Gabriel preemptively gives this encouragement. You haven't heard yet, Mary, but Elizabeth, your relative, you remember she's like 85 years old. She's pregnant, six months pregnant. Why? Because nothing's impossible with God. Just on the way by, this is the best and, I, and simplest um, apologetic for miracles that exists. People who don't believe that there's a God have a hard time believing that there's miracles. But if there is a God, if there's a creator behind this creation who made it and who rules it, then it's actually not too hard to believe that God can do anything with his creation. Nothing's impossible with God. Miracles are only hard to believe if you've already written off the existence of a creator. Nothing will be impossible with God. This is the encouragement given to Mary. It should be the encouragement given to us as well. We wonder, is this, is this even possible? Is it possible that I could be forgiven? Is it possible that I could be cleansed? Is it possible that I could actually be given a new lease on life? Is it possible that God could actually love me? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. You are not too far gone. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This conclusion is somewhat in contrast to 
Zechariah. Zechariah was a bit more incredulous, asking for a bit more proof, and he was reproved. Mary simply accepts it by faith. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm at your disposal. Do what you will. If this is the will of God, then this is the will of God. Let it be to me according to your word. Simple faith, simple obedience. My encouragement to you this morning is if you have not put your faith in Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, the son of Mary, is that you would trust, that you would say simply, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Jesus, do with me whatever you want. Take my life. It's yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I'll follow you anywhere you lead. This is also a, an encouragement for those of us who's been, who've been Christians for a long time. I, I doubt that the angel Gabriel has appeared to any of you this week with a grand <laughs> plan telling you explicitly what God's going to do in this next phase of your life. If you have, I'd love to hear the story. <laughs> but it seems to me that in every season of our lives, we as we enter a new season, we begin to see, okay, I think this is what the Lord's calling me to. I think this is what faithfulness is going to look like here. And in some seasons, it's harder than others. This was a hard one for Mary. What she was signing on to was not an easy thing. She was engaged, but not married, and she was going to be pregnant. Right? I doubt too many people in, the, in town believed the Gabriel story. Right? This is... She's signing up for hardship. And yet she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. God, if this is your will, let it, let it be done according to your word. It can be hard to say those words to the Lord depending on the magnitude of the task we see it ahead of us. But there's a peace in being able to say, Lord, don't know what all this is going to look like. Never heard of a virginal conception before. This all seems a little out there. Nothing's impossible with God. Let it be to me according to your word. May that be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the arrival of your son Jesus into the world. Pray, Father, this morning that you'd make our hearts ready in the coming weeks and the coming month to fully celebrate the coming of Christ this Christmas. For those of us who are Christians, that you'd, that you'd newly soften our hearts to appreciate the, the grand master plan you have been working through all creation for our redemption and our hope. That this Christmas we would truly celebrate the coming of Christ. I pray, Lord, for any here who, who don't know that hope, who have not put their faith in you, that, that you might soften their hearts, that this Christmas they might see clearly, perhaps for the first time, all there is to celebrate in Jesus. 
pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love to have you join us for Coffee Time Out Back.